0: Okay, here we go. Okay, so um, <clears throat> welcome to this, our second week of uh, Dojo Universe. And uh, you'll see Carl's put a few announcements up here, which hopefully you've had a chance to uh, to read through. And then, um, so Vin, tell us a little bit about that, because I first heard about this group, um, and then Vin, your levels came in pretty hot there, it sounds like. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I first read about this group on Hacker. And, um, you know, I I just kind of like how it sounds, but, you know, you definitely have more knowledge about, you know, what they're, what they're doing here.
1: Yeah. They're, they're, um, can everybody hear me? I think. uh, Yeah. Okay. uh, Yeah, there, there's, I guess they released their album Origins in February at Celtic Connections in Glasgow, Um, but they've been bouncing around um, the concert scene for about a year or so now, Um, you know, they, uh, they feature Ross Ainsley and Allie Hutton, who were are two pipers and sort of multi-instrumentalists, if you will, uh, who've been sort of fixtures on the Scottish session scene for uh, quite a while. And, uh, you know, anybody who's gone to piping live, will see them on stage in various places around the city. And uh, they've gotten together with about ten other musicians um, and, and formed this group, which is pretty, it's pretty hot. You know, they, they take a lot, of, a lot of traditional rhythms and riffs and just sort of run with them, you know. Um, yeah,
0: that... So. Um... That uh, MP3 was taken from a YouTube video where they were, you know, playing live and you could see them. And it's actually really pretty cool. I mean, it's interesting how obviously it's definitely a Celtic-inspired group. Certainly all sort of Celtic session instruments, instrumentation. uh, But what they're doing there is far from what we're used to hearing, you know. Um, They definitely got into that sort of polyrhythmic breakdown there that lasted for... Like, uh, yeah, that,
1: that track "Superfly" is, uh, I think, on their album is seven minutes long, and that the the, the video I think is just the last the last uh, three minutes or so. Um, so yeah. you know, there's there's little bits that sort of uh, sort of take you take you around for a little ride, and then hit that 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 groove and just sort of finish you off, you know. It's pretty good.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, what and then so they have this new album out that you reviewed. Uh, do you want to go yeah. through kind kind of what your thoughts were on that?
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, my, you know, I've, I've followed a lot of different kinds of fusion bands, like if you want to call them that, uh, over the years. But, you know, most of them are, are unholy combinations of, uh, you know, hard rockers and, and traditionalists, you know, traditional uh, players. And they always, you know, sometimes you'll hear some good things, and most times you just hear a lot of wackiness. Um, but, you know, they always seem to get the crowd going. But th- these guys are a completely different um, animal, you know. They're, they're They're definitely rooted in tradition. Um, and But they're also really, really good musicians And, and, it, and it shows, you know And it, what's, what's interesting for them, I think Is that, you know, you, you, know how hard is it Anybody out there right now listening Who's a member of a pipe band will know How hard it is to get, you know A bunch of musicians playing the same thing The same <laughs> way, you know um, But uh, these guys, it, it's, it's clear They all buy into the, to whatever it is they're doing and, and they just run with it, you know which is really yeah, it's cool.
0: very, you know, it's funny you should mention that because that's definitely one of the first things that I was thinking about was like, wow, there is, there are probably 10 plus people on the stage. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's like really tight. Yeah. yeah, it
1: really is. Yeah, and on the assumption um, you know, and, that it's
0: and, not like, uh, on the assumption that it's, it wasn't pre-recorded and, and like somehow, like on the assumption they were actually recording that live performance, it's really, really good
1: yeah yeah I mean you know I, I think it's like they' they they really sort of you know they're catching lightning in a bottle i guess if you want to call it that you know there you know a lot of other there's some other groups that come to mind that do, have done that where you know you go listen to them live and and it's you know their album almost is just dis- a disappointment you know after <laughs> seeing yeah. them live you're sort of you're blown away and then you hear their album and the recorded stuff that's a little more polished is not as good sometimes you know but uh it,
0: maybe not you know it's, not, definitely it's not, yeah, not some... the studio uh, the studio aspect aspect uh of, you know, the recording is, um, you know, a difficult thing to get, like, or it's difficult to get the live sort of atmosphere in a yeah. studio recording. And Lunasa comes to mind as well as another great band. And, you know, they're studio recorded, but it's nothing, you know, compared to the energy that they can get live. Yeah. I thought that's, you know, Otherworld okay. Favorite Albums by Lunasa. Okay. And, uh, and it's because somehow they managed to to capture that.
1: So, there's definitely these 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 uh, these tracks are born out of the session scene. You know, they're they're they're, uh, they're they're sitting together playing and just messing around with stuff. And then when something clicks, they just you know go with it. <laughs> you know, and then that's that's what's on this album. You know, it's a lot a lot of kind of crazy stuff here and there. But uh, for the most part, never loses sight of that you know traditional Celtic groove. You know.
0: Yeah. Well, um, so that's cool. So that's the first of two things we're going to listen to today. We'll listen to the other one kind of on the way out. Um, you know, another sort of Celtic band that's doing some interesting things. Then um, tell me, uh, you know, what else has been going on at Pipe Hacker this week?
1: Uh, this well, this week I, I well, last week I posted up uh, like a new 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 uh, installment of pipers up there. Um, this week.
0: Oh yeah, let that me that see thing, if I can bring that up. Last... <laughs> It's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit small, but we'll have a look. Here's uh, here's the first square here. It's all very exciting. Hopefully everyone's able to see this, right?
1: Yeah, that John Wilson quote is my favorite.
0: <laughs> it's good. I mean... Um, And then, uh, so, what do you think? What do you think this means? It's like a cross between a comic and like fine art. <laughs> you know, I mean, what we—it's yeah, right, right, sort of more I mean, or
1: less more or less a philosophical statement on the on the state of modern piping. I guess I don't know. You know, I mean, my my favorite part about a lot of these conversations that you pick up on, on the internet is that it's just that it's just their uh, emphatic declarative uh, knowledge behind whatever nonsense appears on the screen. You know, it's you know judging bias is real, you know, it's just something, which is, people just say this kind of stuff, you know, and everybody out there listening, you know, who, are, who may or may not be guilty of this kind of thing, um, knows what I'm talking about, you know, and I've been guilty of it myself here and there, but um, when you put it all together, it just, I don't know, it just, I, 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 they always make me laugh, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of an interesting segue into, you know, one of the main topics for today that uh, I was you thinking we would have a discussion about, which is um, and your article has sort of really taken off, right? The,
1: yeah, uh, I mean, it seems seems to be it seems to hit a nerve, and people have uh, people have been talking about it. It's been getting plenty of hits, so people well, are reading um, it anyway.
0: Let's why don't we uh, why don't we go to that next? So, um, Vin's article about you're doing it wrong um, has gotten a lot of hits. It sounds like, um, and it's here on Pipe Hacker on the on the front page. And just kind of walk us through, uh, you know, the article here
1: yeah I guess you know it's you know most of us um you know who play bagpipes for any amount of time kind of know like you know when we're sitting in it listening to a concert or a con- competition we kind of know what's bad and what's good you know but I I seem to think that maybe we need to rethink what we really know about what's bad and what's good or at least how we perceive what's bad and what's good you know and it and really is you know sort of a commentary on mo- on uh, the sort of reductive approach to bagpipe critique that we are used to seeing on score sheets and in you know reviews of performances and, and competitions you know it's always about you know whose drones weren't quite in and whose channel was slightly out, out of tune and um, you know what embellishment was missed in which part you know and uh, whenever you read these these reviews in your favorite pu- piping publication it's always a glorified score sheet basically whether it's by you know these you know person doing the writing or even sometimes even the judge who was judging the contest giving their sort of uh, detailed review and it's, like, the last thing I want to read, <laughs> you know, when I'm reading about a, about a competition or a concert, you know. Um, you know, what about the music that was played, you know, that there was some stuff in there other than the out-of-tune chanter, you know, um, and how did that go, <laughs> you know, and you never read that kind of stuff. And here and there, you'll hear comments, and um, but it really sort of boils down to this sort of reductive approach we have to, to uh, bagpiping, you know, it's like, it's all about what what can be taken away, presumably, to make it better, you know? Uh, we you all used to reading on score sheets comments like, you know, you know, your doublings are not on the beat or, you know, your 2 Lewis are crushed or this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, your, your performance is essentially reduced to a series of imperfections, you know?
0: Never yeah, about what can be you, added. Uh, why don't you turn on that webcam so we can see it? Got it.
1: So, yeah. So it's, it's 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 never about what can be added to to make the performance better, you know, or maybe what what is present in your performance that is good and maybe needs to be sort of um, built on, you know, uh, you, know yeah, I mean, spent, you know anybody are, spent, you know, spent time to... on their music knows it's a building process, not a not a reductive sort of destruction. <laughs> you
0: know? So our so you're saying that you know general critiques of piping is too focused on kind of negative nitpicky. Yeah. Things things and we sort of I think we lose sight of of the music and the good parts about it
1: exactly exactly you know and it's it's really you know it it, it's even more highlighted when when you actually attend the same contest or comp you know or recite you know or concert you know and you read these reviews and you know you read them saying well well, what's this guy sitting in the same room as I was you know because I heard you know lots of other things you know that seem that were probably as important to talk about you know um you know, for, for me, it's, it's more or less, you know, especially when you're watching a lot, a lot of really successful players playing, you know, um, you know, the Metro Cup comes to mind. You know, this past February, you had, you know, probably most of the best Pipers in the world playing at that right now, or the most successful Pipers anyway. And they all have their own style of doing things, you know. And it would have been nice to read a little bit about, you know, what that meant in the presentation of their music, you know. Yeah,
0: you know, Vin, I can't think of... I, I can't think of anything more relevant to, you know, what we are working to do at the Piper's Dojo, you know, in a lot of our listeners and, and uh, members at Dojo, you will have heard us talking about the bagpipe as an extension of yourself. And um, I think there's, there's nothing, there are a few things that contribute more to this, uh, to yourself as an extension of your bagpipe than, than what you're talking about. Just reading, like, you know, insert Renown Piper's name here, Right. So anybody, right, might well have won this year, except for a small slip in the Kremlin. And so and so was third. But at times, the doubling was a bit clipped and his channel was a bit strident. You're exactly right. I mean, what, what does this do? I mean, all it does, this attitude and, you know, it's definitely it's a slippery slope. I mean, you do need to know the reasons that if let's let's say you get a score sheet, you do need to know the reasons why you weren't in the top, you know, or you you didn't get first place. I, I, I definitely think so, but at the same time, um, you often free, you know, what's not mentioned is you know, the things that you're doing well. And, and so it can sort of discourage a player from mm-hmm. continuing to explore their own voice. And one of the great truths about what's happening here that's hidden is that the great Pipers play the bagpipe as an extension of themselves. They have their own voice. We talked about this last week as well when we were briefly talking about Alistair Gillis. I mean, uh, they have their own voice. They're taking their technique and their instrument, and uh, you know, the combination thereof, and they're creating music that expresses who they are. And that's why they're legendary, right. right? And I see a lot of people. I mean, I see a lot of a lot of peers of mine um, that are you know really really becoming great players. Um, and they're getting a lot of great prizes. But um, I'm sort of concerned that uh, many of them have lost sight of what they're trying to do, you know, in order to achieve something that, you know, is just sort of a um, a derivative of all this type of stuff. Right. So right, right. they're just trying to yeah, achieve that, I mean, that performance that doesn't that doesn't uh, cause score sheets to say that you had a small right. slip in the current Lewis because right, that's right. that's what they know. and I think that's how they perceive you're going to become a great piper but it's not the case
1: yeah and and from the perspective of say you know an up-and-coming soloist who's in the lower grades you know um what you really want on those score sheets not necessarily what you did wrong or or what you need to improve on but some insight into what's important to the judge you know like what's important musically to be presenting that would actually get you noticed or um what kind of music should i be striving for not necessarily you know technical aspects, which are all important yeah. to know about if, if you're a little confused about that. But at the same time, like, you know, some insight into what the judge really is listening for, you know?
0: Well, and, and here's and, the
1: thing. And I, honestly, I think a lot of the judges will, couldn't even tell you specifically if you
0: asked them. You know, well, here's the thing, Ben. For. You are correct about that, and this is why. The reason why is because it's the same thing. It's yourself as an extension of your bagpipe mm-hmm. culture that we live in. Right. So we can easily articulate what's wrong with your technique, um, how to, um, how to assimilate yourself into what's expected, right? That's really easy to do, but because, and it's, you know, even the judging panel with a few, um, exceptions, you know, like the great judges, but even good judges, they do not have the ability, um, to articulate and right. to talk about. Uh, and right. to verbalize and, what and it they is. they do know, good.
1: yeah, they do know if they really sat down and really picked it apart, they could figure it out. You know, it's not like they lack the expertise, you know. They could it's, and they uh, should.
0: That's exactly right. what they need to do in order to move things forward. Um, we, have, um, we have a couple comments here. Uh, Michael uh, from uh, Las Vegas, right? Maybe they need to add a positive judge position at the competitions. And this is actually interesting. I was just at the BC Indoor and um, occasionally at other higher-level PBRAC competitions, They kind of do that. Um, Jack Taylor was the judge, and um, uh, Hal Senek was sitting next to him. And at least, and this is, uh, I I don't think Hal was actually judging. I think he was just reading. And so what a reader does, which you'll occasionally see, um, what a reader will do is just watch the P-Rock score, make sure that the player doesn't make any mistakes, and uh, they take notes of any sort of glaring technical problems. And then what that allowed um, Jack Taylor to do was um, to just sort of sit back and listen and enjoy the positive aspects of the performance. So that's actually a really interesting point, and it has been thought of. Um, I think, you know, it's a, logistically it can be a challenging thing to do because, um, you know, of budgets and so on and so forth, you couldn't have a reader and a listener for, you know, for every contest. Um, but it's certainly something that can be done. Um, and then uh, uh, someone was also saying, I thought that's what the ensemble judge was added for. And you, you could very well be right there. That's a, a very interesting comment. That might be why the ensemble judge was added, but what's really happened with ensemble? What's really happened with ensemble is, even if that's why it was added, it's yet another um, it's yet another <laughs> random... It's yet another random sort of like weird um, uh, thing where no one can figure it out. Should it be a piper or a drummer? And then what happens is the ensemble judge always simply talks about the negative things that they can hear that have very little to do with the, uh, you know, with the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, cohesion, I guess we'll, we'll go with yeah. that. The cohesion be- between a drum section and a pipe section. And it, instead, it's stuff like stuff like uh, singles not quite right in the drum core, and the drones a little bit out, and the break to the stress bay <laughs> right. not that good. Right. And um, always, I assu- always so,
1: assuming, uh, of course, if you took those things away, your performance would be top notch, right? But not necessarily, <laughs> you know, because there's lots of other things in there that probably need to be, you know, attended to as well. You know, um, if you had more yeah, of exactly. an additive, if you had more of an additive approach. You know, I, I mean, as I said in the article, it's in my post there, it's a, it's it definitely re- demands more of a listener, um, and you're going to, you know, have to apply sort of, a, and it may seem like an issue of semantics and sort of a subtle distinction, but I think, I think there, it's a it's a pretty big distinction. Um, you know, when you're saying something like, you know, all oh, your crunleiths are too tight, you know, in your P-rock, um, you know, there's no there's no real rhyme or reason. Like, why would opening my crunleith be better? You know. Gordon Walker plays a really tight run you know. Like, I mean, it's like almost inaudible sometimes, but it works in what he's doing, you know. And he presents those tunes; it, it just, it just fits in the flow of the, of the phrasing that he's presenting, and um, you know,
0: it may there be are the different ways sometimes, of, you know, of making yeah. music. Exactly. And the Beatles. And, and, and it, you could say the Beatles were slightly different than the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. Uh, which one? And then uh, it, sort of to. To draw an even more absurd analogy, you know, it's kind of like when you listen to the Beatles, you're not talking about like, oh, I like the Beatles. They definitely, you know, were a little bit sloppy in the execution and Ringo had had (laughs) some flams that were a little bit flat and I didn't quite appreciate, you know, I would have them... I would have them below the Rolling Stones because, yeah. you know, the Tom Toms for the Beatles were yeah. not, not quite as... They're tuned a little
1: as, sharp as, and then they're not as, not as pleasant to listen to, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, that's, not what you, that's not what we think about uh, when we right. listen to rock and roll. That's not the issue. The issue is how it moves us and, and what elements are there that, um, you know, uh, that interests us. So um, that's kind of, I just drew a good analogy there. Yeah, um, that's what, good. Here's a, Here's a comment from John from Edmonton. Uh, what, what I hate is, uh, when on a band score sheet, there'll be a huge gap between the scores. One judge will place you third and the other will place you 10th. Mm-hmm. How does that happen?
1: Yeah. It'd be nice to know that you <laughs> can open up the, the skull cap of your judge and look in there and see what's going on. Hopefully. Right. I, I don't know.
0: There, there are a couple of ways that that happens. Um, the, the, you know, and I think I'm a believer that the reason we put a judge on a panel is because we want to hear their opinion and we want to hear how they rank the bands. So um, I think that can happen. One judge will give you third and the other will give you tenth. The issue is the judge that gives you tenth never tells you why. <laughs> Ever. Right? When a judge sinks you <laughs> right. that, that low, you know, and so if, if, if that is going to happen, the, the tenth place never tells you why. I'll, I can give you a couple examples from my own experience. Um, we've been sunk before. And, uh, you know, um, the uh, World Pipe Band Championships in 2000 and 2008 comes to mind, um, where um, we we had three-thirds, uh, in pi- two-thirds in piping, a third in drumming, and then we had an eighth in um, ensemble, I think it was. Uh, and um, And, you know... The, the person who gave us 8th, I have a lot of respect for. Um, my only frustration was that there were no hints on that score sheet as to why we were 8th as opposed to 3rd as the other judges had given us. That's the big thing for me. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, see, it, it's weird. It's like the one instance where you want to know what the negative things were. right? you don't see them there
1: but they might not even be a negative thing too like you know it wouldn't be so hard to sort of get some insight into what that judge was thinking if he said something like um you know inconsistent tempo in the strass bay or something you know that would have given you some insight in in in, in what he was listening to that you could then go and compare by listening to other bands or to the, the bands that maybe scored higher or something you know um it's, it's really not that hard you know i think and, and i think everybody has that capability to sort of Instead of saying, oh, well, tempo's uneven, you know, well, and say, well, maybe, you know, evening out the tempo in your stress bay would have added more, you know, body to the medley or something. I don't know. You know, like, you can come yeah. up with something that's one sentence that actually tells you more about your performance than the simple comment, oh, you know, your doublings don't, aren't, t- aren't together.
0: You know, yeah, for me, one thing I'm doing whenever I'm judging, which is I don't judge particularly often anymore for various reasons. Uh, but uh, I, I, I did just judge this past weekend. Whenever you know, whenever a player, I, I need to make sure I let the player know uh, what it was that's keeping them from being competitive. So if the player is in first place, I, I usually say, "Great job! Here's some good things. One or two things, you know, that could be better." If you're in third place, I'm always making sure I try to make it as clear as possible. All right. This was good. Here's where you need to be in order to be first place. And then if you're out of the prize list, here's what you need to do to make it into the prize list. Because, um, I think, you know, I think that's a big issue. Um, although at the same time, you know, to stay on topic, you know, it's also Mm -hmm. what are the good things that you're doing? Um, and Kent made a couple comments here. Um, there's a lot more to music than correct. Um, I am in complete agreement and um, you know incorrectness it, it's all it's all um, subjective it has to do with what you consider to be correct it does not have to do with what the listener considers to be correct you know if you thought if you think of the judge as an audience member um, well you could say and some people do I don't really care what the judge says I, I definitely want to play my best but I'm not that worried about what the judge says. Of course, that gets old pretty fast, doesn't it? Right. Because uh, <laughs> eventually you're like, crap, this, this is a drag, I want to actually win. So, you, you know, you have to listen to um, sort of, at least what the trends are that the judge is saying.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, as kind of says, like, you know, some judges, they, some judges have more to do with, their comments have more to do with personal preferences, like tight chronolos or good technique or something like that. And But I think it's more of that sort of mindset that we find inso- ourselves in, this reductive mindset of like, you know, looking for these things, I mean, that's what they're looking for they're looking for the imperfections, and that's, you know what I suggest is that, you know, is to reorient the approach just for, as a more additive thing, like, you know, let's presume that the piper standing before you actually is able to play some music <laughs> and, like, let's let's listen for things that can be added to it that would build on it and move and make it better, you know um, yeah. you know, and if there's, you know, glaring errors and things like that, I mean, you know I don't think you need to tell a piper that they made a mistake in the third part of their march, you know I think they know, (laughs) you know, and you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. I mean, I I think every Piper, you know, of, of any, you know, decent ability will know when they make a mistake. They don't need to be told about it. They know. So why, why, why perpetuate the, the, the presumption that if I got rid of that mistake, I would do better. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You know, when there's other things that I should probably pay more attention to, like, you know, my timing or phrasing or, and the actual music making, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, I, a mistake I can I can address, you know. I that won't happen again, you know. <laughs> like everybody can do that, you know. So, but like it's harder things like you know improving your uh, you know your expression and musicality and things like that that I think deserve more more comment, you know.
0: Definitely. Well, let's do this. Let's um, let's move on. What one of the things that um, we do at the Piper's Dojo. Is um, we do. I'm going to go back to my sharing window here briefly. Um, and I'm going to bring up this again. So, uh, one of the things we do at the Piper's Dojo is, um, I think this might be it. Nope, didn't like that. Well, let's just go down to our daily deals here. Yeah, here we go. Uh, we do daily deals at the Piper's Dojo, and you can sign um, sign up at pipersdojo.com slash daily hyphen deals. Uh, that's where, if you're watching right now, you can see. And uh, just a little sign-up form. But um, what that happens is we, we email out a, a pretty killer deal every day. Um, we'd certainly um, love to have as many people sign up for those as possible, because um, for us it's it's a good way to just help people see what we have on special and today what we have are um, brushes and swabs are I think Carl if I'm not mistaken they're 40 percent off today um, what do you think Sweet. about that Carl uh, uh, and uh, go ahead Carl
2: yes they are 40 so, percent off.
0: Yep. Cool. True. Um, and uh, anyway, so what we thought we'd do is we're going to give – Carl's going to give a little demo today. It's going to be a combination bagpipe tip and a little tour of basics of uh, brushes. So um, without further ado, Carl, if you want to hop on and um...
2: – You bet. All right. Um, so hello, everybody, for this week. Uh, got swabs brushes, the big drone brush, and the Chenna brush on sale today, but uh, we'll kind of go through it, and I'll use my own, which you can see are not quite as white and shiny as the uh, brand new ones. So, uh, this is from several things. These brushes are fantastic for a number of reasons. First of all, um, when you're playing for any length of time, uh, or... Uh, playing in the rain, or if it's extremely humid out, you're going to be wanting to dry out your, your pipes. So I have my pipes here. Um, let's say you just had to play a competition or a parade or something in the, in the, in the rain. You don't want to let moisture sit on the wood because it's going to absorb more moisture and that can cause, uh, cracks, uh, any, any number of things. Um, and that would be bad right so we want to get as much of the standing moisture off the the pipes Um, so you want to wipe down the outsides but you also want to swab out the insides and that's where these brushes and swabs come in so assuming it's it's raining raindrops will actually fall down the top of your drones as well as moisture from your breath coming out um, through through the bag and then out your drones as well Um, and you also have some that will condense from the difference in temperature on the inside.
0: Yeah, so, Carl, um, if I can just butt in there. So, um, yeah, there are definite situations where you have to be really careful. W- one of the big things that happens, and it's, it's sort of geeky. It's from science class when you talk about um, relative humidity and also the dew point, right? So, um, but to s- sort of summarize what all that means, the colder your wood is, the colder the wood on the drones is going to be. The, the quick, the quicklier, <laughs> the more Fastly. quick, the, yeah, the faster the, the water will condense on the inside of those drones. So if you're above say 75, maybe if you're above 70 degrees, it's usually not going to condense too much, but anything below that, and you're going to get quite a bit of moisture there on the drones, right? Uh, for sure. And so whenever you've been playing um, in a situation where that's happening, you want to make sure you brush your drones out. Um, so what I usually do um, is I, I, I sometimes just take my pipes apart and I let the air sort of passively dry things out. That's usually what I do. However, if I've been playing in a cold you know, uh, situation or or like Carl's saying where it's raining, um, you got to do the brushes um, or else the water might stay in there. And the other thing you have to be careful of is where you store your pipes. Um, just a random thought about this is, I like to store my pipes off the ground. I don't leave them on the ground because the ground is often cold, right? So it's much, it's colder down there than you realize. And, um, you know, water can sort of get in there and cause cracks at that temperature. So I like to store my pipes off the ground, uh, which is Carl is smiling because right now my pipes are sitting on the ground uh, outside. But it is getting warmer. And, um, you know, do as, maybe I do as I say, not as I do think. But uh, generally speaking, um, if the pipes are wet and if, the, if I've been playing them a lot, I like to keep them off the ground. Um, so uh, I digress. Carl, carry on.
2: So anyway, um, if it has been raining, that was my next point. So you're going to want to take the whole pipe apart into the smallest sections that you can. Um, so this is my base drone top, and I'll use this for demonstration. Um, and this is a, uh, the drone brush that we sell. But what I've done is I've actually trimmed a little off this one. So I have two of these. I've got one that's the normal size and one that I've trimmed down a little bit. And that's because the chamber on – well, you're not going to be able to see that. The chamber here uh, won't quite fit this size on my pipes. Now, your pipes might be designed a little differently, but these are a set of Hendersons. They uh, have strange bores. So I've trimmed this one down a little so it fits in between these two um in between that section so I can actually work this through and what I've done um, if I've I've cut off the little loop here on the end um, of the brush so that I can pass it through backwards um, that's what I've done with the brushes the larger diameter is great for doing the tuning chambers themselves um, and also the bell it's important to not forget about the bell here um, you want to make sure that you work that brush in and you're working it around there so that you get all the moisture out from in there. Um, And I do that pretty much every time I play because that's gonna be the first place that moisture condenses or that rain falls in. The other thing we have on sale today are these swabs. And they come in two sizes, you get a small and a large. And these work pretty well because they have a weight on the end that just allows you to uh, drop it down through the drone pull it out the other side, and then you can work it through um, through the drone. And that's great for grabbing moisture. Um, the other reason, and the reason that these are so dark um, that I use these, is to oil the insides of the pipes. So I'll take a little bit of bore oil, and I'll soak the tip of it right about here, and then pass these through um, and make sure that the uh, oil is getting some uh, is getting evenly coated on the inside of the drones. Um, the second brush that we saw is the, what they call a channer brush, which does work really well for the channer. It goes up to about the um, E or F hole. Um, after that, it gets too thin, and this is a little thicker. Um, but what this is also really good for is drying out and oiling the uh, pins on... Your pipes. So I've tangled myself now. My headphones. (laughs) Uh, So if you take a look here. um, I'll grab my outside tenor. And again if we're. (laughs) Andrew's back there. Um, If it's been raining. You want to take all these sections apart. uh, To their smallest parts. So here's my outside tenor. Um, I would take the reed out let this dry, dump any moisture out of it and then this brush fits pretty well right on up through the pin of my uh, of my tenor. Uh, the smaller swab will also fit through down uh, through there you can just pass that through um, and that has the same effect. I don't like having the swabs um, be, or I do have them but uh, I don't like using them for oiling um, because it pulls too much of the oil that you just put on out of the wood. Um, so that's why I use the brushes for oiling, but also for drying. So.
1: Hey, Carl, do you, yeah. uh, do, do you, uh, would you recommend, I mean, I, I know what I would recommend, but would you recommend using the same brushes for oiling and drying, or would you have dedicated brushes for both? Uh,
2: well, <laughs> I'm not very particular about that. My kind of feeling is, I use them for both. If it's drying out and there's a little extra oil on that, it's not going to be a big deal, I don't think. Um, Maybe you've got a different opinion, but I use both for the same thing. Um, I mean, it it could be nice to have dedicated ones. Uh, I certainly don't like to use these to clean out my bag after I've seasoned it. Um, They get really gunky and nasty. Right, right. Um, so, I don't know. What's, Phil, what's your thoughts on Joyner's that? Phil Joyner
1: is asking a question. How often do you oil the bores? Uh
2: I generally do it about six months to a year. Um, so, once or twice a year. Um, you can kind of tell when they need it. Um, if, they get, if the drones are getting too light in color, um, if you're seeing the grain readily, that means that they're dry, and you're going to want some oil on that. It should always be like a nice dark black color they're getting brown and you can see the grain, it's too dry, Um, at least for blackwood. If you have a different type of wood, it's a different story. But, uh, you know, you can kind of tell when they need it. And then you just put in a little little bore oil on the inside. And then depending on the finish of your pipes, most pipes nowadays and before were shellacked, um, which allows you to put moisture, sorry, not moisture, oil on top of it. Some pipes, um, the one that comes to mind is Shepherd, um, had varnished the top, uh, the outside of the pipes, which means that that uh, the oil would not soak through that. Um, you would have to do the bores on the uh, the inside more often.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of modern makers too just use um, just sort of a, a, a you know a, a regular sort of what's the name of the oil you would use to finish off wood? I forget. Oh, uh, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, like mineral linseed, yeah,
1: like oil. mineral, oil. Linseed, yeah, yeah. It's like mineral or linseed oil. You know, it's just sort of a, a nice sort of triple layer finish on on the outside, which yeah. is easily going to wear down as use, you know, as right. you use the pipes, and you're going to have to replenish that. So, yep.
2: um, almond oil, yeah, people certainly do use that. Um, that's fine. I, I use the um, the bore oil that we sell. It's a uh, clear synthetic oil, but I find that's just fine. And then, uh, Michael Gilbert, you asked about the pipe guard. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the pipe guard. I'm not really sure what it's made out of, what it does. What smells kind what's that? Pipe guard. It's the um, Highland Pride's version of um, of bore oil. Oh right. Really? Uh, okay. we, we do sell it, but we also sell the normal bore oil that comes in a little bottle. Um, that's a clear oil. Not yeah, sure gonna, what pipe guard. They say uh, it works. A lot of this th- I'm not a big believer.
1: Yeah, a lot of this stuff is, yeah, you gotta be careful, like, like natural oils, like almond oils and things like that are, are great. Uh, the other stuff that you buy is a lot of times petroleum distillates, which I'm not sure I would want in my drones. <laughs> but uh, So that's why it smells funny and things like that. I think a lot of uh, musicians, um, like orchestra musicians, will use uh, Boar Doctor or similar products. Yeah, that's just stuff that we'll more, use then. Yeah, which is a little, um, a little more, I think it's a combination for, of two things,
2: yeah. Yeah, it's designed for uh, blackwood wood, wood uh, woodwind instruments. That's right, its purpose. Right. So, um, Great. Well, that's, uh, it's, if anyone has any other questions about these, um, please chat them in. But uh, all of these are on sale. Uh, like I said, the system I use, I have two of these and uh, one of these. And uh, there you go. That's... Uh, our kind of product review and a few, uh, tips there. I hope you got a little out of that.
0: I know I did. <laughs> Bagpipe maintenance is perhaps, I mean, I'm when I, when I'm ready, I, I maintain those suckers pretty good. Uh, yeah. but, uh, Carl is definitely, uh, Carl and Vin are t- true passionate masters.
2: I don't know why I'm passionate about maintenance, but it, it, it's nice.
1: <laughs> it's yeah, I think I think it comes from my days working in the machine shop. You know, it's like you know the machine when it's well maintained just does exactly what it's right. supposed to do. So it's a, it's I wish nice Carl was
0: soon. as I wish Carl was as passionate about his handwriting when he takes orders over the phone or <laughs> <laughs> uh, spell checking. You know, but hey, you know, we all got our things. So um, uh, that's cool. What I, What I'm going to do now is I'm going to um, segue to I just want to talk a little bit about what's been going on at Dojo U. I mean, uh, most of us are, um, <clears throat> you know, probably staying somewhat aware, but um, we, do, um, we do have some cool stuff going on. Um, and um, first of all, uh, on Thursday, we have um, uh, my class called The Fundamentals of Solo Competing, that's uh, going to start, it starts at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And this class is is designed, uh, and we wanted to run it right about now because, you know, it's it's sort of, um, and Vin, maybe you would agree, it's sort of getting down to the wire here. Like, if you're going to compete at all this year, um, you know, you probably need to get your act together right around now, wouldn't you say? Yeah,
1: I would say so. I mean, the contests have already started, so depending on your travel schedule and where you live, I'm sure there's going to be a contest coming up very shortly,
0: yeah. And so, but it's not you know it's not too late. Um, how long would you say it takes to get everything together? Um, we're you know we're going to talk in this class. We're going to talk about how to get um, how to get registered with your association and how to um, send in your entry forms for for games. I mean, how long would you say that takes? Yeah,
1: I think you know the games are games are kind of dicey. I mean, a lot of them have very uh, have have uh, due dates for entries that are pretty far out. You know, they could be as much as six weeks or more.
0: Yeah, it's um, so it's getting be, better though. I think, don't you think? Like, yeah. it's and, and, usually well, a lot of yeah,
1: exactly. A lot of them have online registering now, which can mi- drastically reduce that time. Um, you know, it might be. I don't think it's any less than three weeks. I would say three to four weeks. I would say that's the probably the shortest one I've ever seen to date. Um, so you're going to need a good month um, before of just, you know you're going to have to decide a good month out from that from that date of uh, of when you're. Planning to go out, you know, for the first time. So,
0: yeah, at least. So it, it doesn't take too long, but you're going to want to get organized. And so our first class is going to talk about, you know, getting organized and and how to do that kind of stuff, how to get your registrations in. And then we're each class. We're each we're also going to talk about um, a specific idiom um, that you would perform in a solo competition. So I believe I can check the calendar, but I believe the first class we'll, we'll talk about two four marches. And then we'll go into other stuff. We're even going to talk about how to present p to a judge um, because uh, that can be that can be a really challenging thing to do. And, um, you know, sometimes with all the different stuff you need to learn about p you forget the basics. So, so we're going to talk about that. Um, we're also going to talk about uh, what to do when you get to the games on the morning of a solo competition, you know, what your routine should be and, you know, common mistakes people make. For example, I'm not going to get my pipes out Three hours before the competition and practice for three hours before I play. I'm not going to do that, and um, instead, I'm actually going to I'm going to have a very specific plan, and I'll teach you what my plan is, and hopefully that'll get you thinking about um, you know what your strategy might be and so on and so forth. And we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about etiquette. We're going to talk about what how to present yourself to a judge. Which, believe me, I've learned this the hard way. Uh, so um, just uh, you know, one of them's going to be take your earplugs out. Um, I remember one time um, I was competing in British Columbia, uh, you know, sort of in my earlier years, and there was like some sort of—I forget—I um, forget who the steward was that was sort of sitting with the judge, and maybe they were reading, and uh, I was shouting at them, and I didn't know because my earplugs were in, and <laughs> and Jack, Jack sort of was talking to me after. He was like. You, you'd like shouted at that guy, like you know, you gotta, you know, gotta take those earplugs out and like not talk so that. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Were so they fluorescent we're orange? Yeah, they were probably fluorescent orange, also. So. <laughs> um, so you know, just we'll talk about a few of those tricks, and then um, one of the big things that we'll talk about. This is a six-week course. So later in the course, one of the big things we're going to spend a class on is how to um, how to interpret score sheets. What I'm going to ask people to do is scan in some score sheets, and we'll actually look at them during the class. Uh, and we're going to talk about, all right, so so here we have this handwriting that's difficult to interpret, and even once I can interpret it, uh, what should I take away? Uh, you know, um, and then finally we'll talk about now that we've interpreted the score sheet, let's let's put together a good practice schedule to. To really set ourselves up for success, so that's sort of a summary of what my class is going to be about, um, and uh, and so on and so forth. I also want to go over um, some of the cool stuff that's that we've put in our archive and that we've been doing this week. Um, this week, um, the sort of theme that emerged this week um, was to learn uh, an MSR, you know, sort of a competition MSR that normally would be considered advanced. Um, but what we've done is we've broken things down, um, with, you know, as far as the repertoire expansion, we've broken things down today. We did, um, Susan McLeod, as you can see here, and we broke it down. Um, and we sort of talked about if there's a few fundamental things that you can do that we wrap our head around, that Susan McLeod is going to be very playable. So we talked about that. And my, um, Hugh Kennedy, uh, class that I did, I thought came off really well also. Um, and I'm trying to find it here. Yeah, there's Hugh Kennedy. Um, and uh, Donald was teaching some p this week, which was really cool. Um, I don't know, Vin, were you at
2: that class?
1: No, I wasn't able, I wasn't able to make it, but I have to have a, a, an appointment to sit in and listen to the archive recording. Yeah, yeah, so
2: we didn't end up actually um, doing the Carls with the Breaks. Um, we spent the whole time on the big spree um, because uh, we took every moment discussing that tune and the... the differences between um, four different uh, uh, notations of that, the P. Society, Binius Borag, General Thompson's, and um, the Kilberry book. So it's a really fantastic class.
0: Yeah, so are we going to revisit Carl's We the Breaks?
2: Yeah, I think we're going to do that next week.
0: Okay, I'll have to change that entry so it's not saying there's something in there that there isn't. But... uh, um... And then, uh, and then in our technique classes, we went through a lot of technique that we're gonna use in these, um, in this MSR that we brought forward in the repertoire class. So Mark did, I actually was supposed to do the TACMS class, and Mark had to sit in for me. Cause I, I had to go home, and I was gonna teach from home, but I forgot my practice channel, so I'm sitting here like, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and Mark offered to stand in, so he did a great job. His point about TACMS is that, um, they're actually, exactly like doublings, except, they, you know, they move notes in, in the middle. And so his perspective is really interesting. I'd recommend checking it out. Um, and then I did one the next morning. I did a Hackham's workout, and uh, it was kind of interesting. What I did was I hooked my uh, electronic chanter here. I hooked it up to the speakers, and and I did a lot of exercises, and I was able to sort of – it's really hard to do, but I was able to talk through Um, I was able to talk a little bit through um, you know as I was playing and and so we developed our hackums and that's a really good class if that's something that you struggle with and there were some help sessions and performance critiques which are always good to check out especially if you find a topic that you're interested in so anyway to get there um, at Dojo U just go to recent archive editions and you'll be able to see these and if you have a membership you'll be able to access them as well Um, and of course to purchase a membership there'll be this little square box right now. I am a premium member. So, uh, but if you're not, it'll say click here to purchase your membership now. And it's very reasonable. Um, it's as low as twelve fifty a month to view most of this content. So, um, all right. Last topic. I just want to quickly talk about, um, if you're not, um, which is this pipes and sticks on route 66, um, which you can find them on Facebook and, um, I'm following them now because I think it's really interesting. And then, you know, you can help me out here, but basically Stuart Little, Angus McCall, Willie McCallum, Jim Kilpatrick. And, uh, Oh, uh, Sean saw it last night in Flagstaff. That's really cool. Oh, Excellent. Um, it'd be interesting to hear, um, you know what Sean's take on it was. We don't have a lot of time left. Um, but, um, uh, so th- they're performing, they're, they're traveling route 66 and, uh, I don't know, Vin, uh, I, I'm sort of yeah. looking through the Facebook. I think it's
1: blog, a, yeah. a kind of it's a really cool idea. I think it's a it's a very sort of uh, kitschy American thing to be uh, to be doing to travel Route 66 and, and to, you know some of these some excellent pipers and, and drummers going along for the ride and um, doing concerts along the route is is gotta be uh, fun <laughs> for them as well as anyone else probably watching it. I'm sure um, John McDonald who did uh, the documentary on the day. Uh, is is filming this all along the way, and is hopefully going to produce a documentary uh, at the end of it all. So that should be fun. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, I, I you know it's, I can't wait to see you know like here's a picture of them with cowboy hats in, in, in Texas, you know, and you know it's probably a lot of that. You know, if you spend any time watching some of these programs with uh, you know from from the heartland of the U.S., you know, you, you can get a sense of the type of people that are going to be in the audience. So their reactions are probably fun. <laughs> if anything, yeah, know, Phil. Maybe Sean Kaelchun um, can chime in to see how, how it was received. At least, I mean, I, I don't know what the piping and drumming population is like in Arizona, but um, you know, I'm sure that there was a fair bit of uh, people who were maybe not, you know, enthusiasts and just there to see the novelty of it all or something.
0: Oh, so he didn't make so uh, he was doing a Kickstarter and he didn't make the goal. So how do oh, we, I didn't, Phil? Uh, crud. Phil, do you know how to um, support? Uh, to to support John Uh, is I think his name is John McDonald. Um, I I, I met him a few times and he did the the documentary about, um, uh, Uh, not St. Lawrence Hotel about uh, sons of spirit of Scotland pipe end rather a few years ago, which is really cool. We sell it at pipersdojo.com. And then, um, so I guess this latest documentary is about this trip. Send money to him directly at PayPal Yes, info uh, on his Kickstarter page. What's the um, what is the Kickstarter um, URL? Um, Kickstarter. I'm just trying to Google this here before we're done. Um, here we go. This might be it. Yeah,
1: Sean says there was a very good turnout in people as far away as from from Las Vegas at the the Arizona. Uh,
0: Yeah, so here's the um, the URL here I can post in our session. Um, But uh, generally speaking, go to kickstarter.com and search for Pipes and Sticks on Route 66 uh, to help support him, and you can support him directly even though they didn't meet their goal. Because it's really cool, and we don't get a chance to see a lot of stuff like this because we're in a small sort of community, so... Yeah. Um,
1: and and then U.S. is big. I want to see. I want to see the pipes and sticks. The New Jersey Turnpike next. That's
0: what I want to. Yes, see. exactly. <laughs> I want to see pipes and sticks on Fritz on the Fritz Boulevard cul-de-sac. Yeah. That's what I want to see uh, because we have at least four uh, businesses on this cul-de-sac. That uh, one of which is somewhat the historic. Back. Fritz Boulevard of uh, Albany, New York. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, now let's do this um, we have one more we have the one more track to play and um, we're going to sort of uh, wrap this up here for today but thanks very much for listening we'll get the podcast up here um, in the next hour or so and um, yeah and Jennifer saying with the pipes and sticks the footage is going to be great and you're going to have some good performances and so hopefully uh, I, John's a really nice guy and uh, you know he works really hard to get this stuff going so uh without further ado, let me um bring up this this is another great track that I just love. It's another live there's no uh, applause, but it's um another live uh performance from 2008. This is a band called Lau, L A U, and uh they do a lot of really um uh really uh virtuosic and um I would say avant-garde even um music and and this is one of their more famous tracks. So, um, we will be signing off after this. So it was great to see everybody this week. And I uh, hope everyone enjoys the recording. And we'll see, we'll be back on next week with more invigorating topics. <laughs> and uh, you can feel free, feel free to continue to chat. You're more than welcome to stay for a little while. So, um, you know, uh, we'll see everybody again soon. Thank you.